I had on a material level gained what I wanted at that time, getting paid more money than I ever had before, working with like great celebrities, getting, going to all these like media events and things like that, yet I hit rock bottom. Hi guys and welcome back to the Rage Active podcast. It's been such a pleasure again seeing everyone enjoying the recent episodes. If you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. This week, I'm sitting down with a wonderful writer, speaker and the host of the Life of Greatness podcast. Welcome to the show, Sarah Grinberg. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so excited. Welcome. I'm so thrilled to have you on the pod. And this chat actually has been quite a a long time coming really because I've had to reschedule it so many times. So I am, you know, so glad that we finally get to sit down and chat and that I'm well enough to chat to you now. I know. Um, Poor thing. it's, (laughs) It's been a bit of a ride, but you and I, I feel actually have quite a few things in common and and we both really love the study of human behavior, personal growth and happiness and all of those kinds of things. And I'm really excited to to get to unpack these things with you and, and really explore the link between them as well and also hear more about your perspective. So, Amazing. you know, I I know you've gone through, you've actually gone through, you know, quite the personal journey yourself and and a bit of a transformation. And I think a lot of people that come to this kind of work and who love the study of these topics and they've, they've experienced something that has really had a profound effect on their life and how they see the world. So I'm interested to know, can you take me back to that moment for you? Yes, Absolutely. Sometimes it's referred to the dark night of the soul moment, you know, when when everything just goes to shit. So take take me back. What was going on for you at that time? Yes. And, you know, the hope is that people don't have to go through that to be able to transform or change their lives. But sometimes, unfortunately, it is the catalyst. Um, And what happened for me is many years ago I was in breakfast radio. I was a breakfast radio producer And I really did love that job a lot. But with being a breakfast radio, anything, TV producer, producer, being a talent on a breakfast show comes with very early hours. And for us, especially being producers, we had to be there. You know, I had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning and it was a five-day-a-week job at the time. I had two young kids, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and it was just, you know, like one of those mice going and just clogging through um, basically the days where it was like you had permanent jet lag. So it was a really full-on time for me, and it got to the point where basically I was just so unbelievably exhausted from the job. I couldn't think straight. It was like having permanent jet lag. And the first thing that we know, especially coming from anyone that uh, has a psychology or science background, is that sleep is the most important thing you can get. And even though I was having an okay amount of sleep, you know, you're going to bed early, but then you can't sleep in the knowing that you have to wake up early and all that kind of stuff. So basically I hit rock bottom. I was so exhausted. I was completely burnt out, even though I did like what I was doing. And I got to the point where I thought like, I cannot do this anymore. Like this is not sustainable for me, but it also was full on in the sense that Like I had given myself this dream job that I'd wanted for so long. And then I was like, this, I just can't do this. So it was like, 
I had on a material level gained what I wanted at that time, getting paid more money than I ever had before, working with like great celebrities, getting going to all these like media events and things like that. Yet I hit rock bottom with all these tickable things around me, right? All the materialistic items. And in that moment of rock bottom, I thought, like I said, I I just can't go on like this anymore. What can I do to change this? And basically there's a beautiful saying that when the student is ready, the teacher will come. I ended up meeting this beautiful man that became a mentor for me. I started diving into um, studying human behavior and thought patterns and emotions. And I did a lot of work on happiness, why some people were happier than others. I really wanted to work out how I could lead a happier existence. So that's why this understanding of human behavior became so important for me. And I didn't just, you know, speak to my mentor or read these books and take them in on a um, on a level where I was understanding it. I also started embodying it. And I think, you know, I coach a lot of people now. And one thing that I notice is a lot of people get it and they understand these concepts, but they actually don't embody them. And for me, it just was like, of course, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to embody it. And I literally like there's a a saying where it's like you're reborn again in the same life. And as soon as I started embodying everything that I was learning, it was seriously so fast how things started changing around me in my world and little things like I'm not going to talk badly about people like I never really did a lot of that anyway but I was became so consciously aware of my thoughts my actions and my words and that was the first like that awareness was the first step to me kind of changing my life and look you know it's a long story but to make it more condensed is basically after that, I uh, left that radio job. I got offered a job in podcasting. I got given the opportunity to um, produce one of the biggest uh, podcasts in Australia, working with amazing celebrities and really great people in an environment that was normal hours. Uh, I didn't have to wake up at the crack of dawn anymore. A year later, I came up with the idea for my podcast, which, you know, has been life-changing and is now the only thing plus, you know, some other things to do with the podcast that I work on. I don't produce anymore. And it has absolutely changed my life in the most phenomenal way. So out of that dark night of the soul where I thought that I couldn't go on, ended up being so much more richness in my life than I could ever have, have imagined. And, you know, going back to kind of tie a bow around it, is, as I said at the start, like what you're teaching and I'm teaching is we don't need to go through that to to change, to experience change in your life for the better. You can do it now. So the work that you're doing with your podcast and I'm doing with my podcast and teaching are showing people the avenues of how to do that before it's too late. Yeah, the strategies of how you can actually almost like it's preventative in a way. So you don't have yes. to hit that rock bottom moment, you know, like you did. But just going back to that moment, because I feel like we have clues along the way. And those of us who have hit a dark night of the soul moment probably can recognize that there were little flags that were popping up along the way before we actually got to that point. But for people listening who we don't want to actually get to that point, what are these little signals that were there things that you sort of in retrospect now can think back and go, "Mm, that was probably my body saying something to me. That was a little clue here, but I just wasn't listening until I hit to that, that really low 
point of just being yes. completely overwhelmed? What were those little, I guess, clues along the way that people might be able to see in their own lives right now? Yeah, I think this, the thing for me, because it was sheer exhaustion, was that, you know, you you have to work up to exhaustion. It doesn't just come. So as you said, there were these kind of clues of the fact, like I said, going trying to get an early night's sleep. Like I used to go to bed when the kids went to bed, which was very early, um, but I was waking up so early and I just wouldn't be able to sleep because of the anxiety of going to work and having to wake up early. And it was a big workload as well. So then you end up, you know, had I had tactics on how to sleep better, that would have helped. Also at that stage, before I got into really diving into personal development work, I never did meditation. And I think that would have been the perfect thing for me to do at a time like that. But I didn't really, like it wasn't in my awareness at the time, you know, just general things to kind of relax yourself whilst I was like so worked up that it was that Mm. fight or flight the whole time thank god I caught it otherwise as we know those cortisol levels if they continue like that for a few years you can end up getting sick uh Mm. so I was able to yes I had the dark night of the soul but I didn't let it continue I made that change for myself which you know saved me from god knows what down the track Mm. um so I think yeah had I listened to my body better uh as far as sleep and had I had the strategies, I would have been able to fix myself earlier than I did. Mm. So it's kind of, it's it's important to kind of take on these little things to to create balance in your life really yes. is, is what you're saying so that you don't get to that point of overwhelm and being in that fight or flight, uh, you know, sort of state in your body for too long where it hits that point. Now you're just referring to this before about happiness and, and diving into happiness. And I've definitely heard you refer to this idea of, unhappiness versus thriving and you noticing and observing people around you in both of these states. So I'm curious to know what have been your observations around people you have noticed that are unhappy and what are the commonalities amongst these people who are in this state of unhappiness? Well, from what I've learned, happiness, I think, is a 50% like a genetic disposition. So some people are like born happier than others and then the rest is environmental so and all of that is changeable so nothing is set in stone so you know those people that you've just known for your whole life and they're just like the happiest people and they're just that's their disposition like I Mm. love you know my boxing instructor I always use is like that (laughs) like she's been through a lot of stuff that isn't great and yet she's always coming in with a smile and it's not because she's putting it on it's like her general way of being is just very happy but I think a lot of the time, you know, and I know that I teach people this and, and have learned it for myself, is the way that we interpret our environment. So, for example, it could be raining one day and you could get so down in the dumps about that or you could just be like, oh, it's raining, that's great, like the plants get watered, it's raining, and be just nothing to it or be happy that it's raining because you like the sound of rain or just it's raining, cool, whatever, or you can get yourself really down by the fact that it's raining. So interpreting environment is a big thing, you know. That there's a great quote by Wayne Dyer, who was a big personal development teacher, you know, change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. And I think there are so many situations where you could do that. You know, for example, someone close to me um, got an injury recently and 
that day of an operation and then, you know, out of, you know, have to rest for a couple of weeks and all that kind of stuff. But then it's like, okay, how do you interpret that? You can interpret that like, what was me? And I noticed that people around this person are saying, oh my God, that is so bad. Da da da. And none of this stuff that they've got is life threatening. So it's really not that bad. Mm. And things, you know, it, but I, I said to them, don't listen to what people are saying to you because that's getting you down. How are you interpreting the situation? What is the good that can come out of this situation? Which there is quite a bit of good that can come out of it. So I think interpret, interpreting our environment is just such a key thing to happiness. And then another big thing is gratitude. Like, what do I have now that I'm grateful for? Because as soon as we have a low mood, to switch to gratitude is the easiest way to move into a state of happiness, like the fastest and easiest way. And we all have things to be grateful for. Even if shit is hitting the fan big time, there is always that warm cup of coffee in the morning that we're grateful for, the kind smile that the man walking his dog gave me when I was walking down the street. I'm grateful for that. There are always things to be grateful for. And as soon as we move into that state of gratitude, you know, you can even just do it putting your hand on your heart and just imagining these things that you're grateful for in your head can bring you back to that state of happiness so fast. So I think mm. those are the key things. Yeah, it's a, I really like what you said there about really it's that shift of perspective and understanding how we communicate to ourselves, what we're telling ourselves about the situation that we're in. And like you said, I mean, I really love that quote by Wayne Dyer, but the gratitude thing, I mean, I think sometimes that can be hard too, right? People are like, yeah, but you know, they can get stuck in that woe is me mentality in that state. But you know, it's really the questions that you ask yourself too, right? Like if you had to be grateful for something in this moment, what what would you be grateful for? And there's always something you can find. There's always something. Even as if it's as simple as the roof over your head, mm. you know, there's always something to be grateful for. Could be your dog, it could be a family member, could be a friend that gave you some great advice. There's mm. always something to be grateful for. Yeah, and it's just what you focus on, right? It's what what you're choosing to put exactly in your, in your and face. And I think yeah. that's a big thing as well. Like what we choose to focus on, we create to be bigger, right? You know, where energy goes, and you know that energy where you put focus on energy flows, energy goes, that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you choosing to put? emphasis on the negative or the positive. And it's more than just positive thinking. It's like, okay, are we going to be conscious? Again, it goes back to conscious awareness. What are we conscious of? Well, we're thinking like shift the thought, shift it to something that is going to bring you joy and happiness. Mm. I might swing back to the awareness thing because I feel like this might be sort of the the part where, I mean, you really need the awareness that underpins all of this to do any of this mm. kind of work really because if you're not, if you're not even conscious that you have, you know, it's almost like separating those parts of yourself, right? And when people come to you, you know, to work with you, are they aware of that awareness or do they work with you through that to find that awareness? Because that is almost the trickiest part. Absolutely. Well, that that's mm. if they come to work with me, they are aware. So that's the first mm. step. Because if you're completely unaware, you know those people that kind of live life with like blinkers on and you, they're just mm. very unconscious in what they're doing. And you can tell they might yeah. say things that hurt people and they're not a bad person, but they just do things and they have no awareness about what they're doing or they're saying or that kind of stuff. Mm. So the people that come to me are 
aware to an extent, but they need help. And as you said, the first pillar to living a life of greatness is conscious awareness and being consciously aware, as I mentioned, of your thoughts, of your language and of what you're feeling inside your emotions. Mm -hmm. And once you're aware of them, it's about, okay, what can I do to change these, to be able to use them in a way that's positive for my benefit that will bring me the most joy and happiness in my life. And like I said, you know, even if it's something as little as I'm not going, I'm going to stay away from gossiping, you know, someone around me might be doing it. Okay. Like, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to like, they can move on kind of thing, not engaged in those habits that might bring me joy for a tiny period of time, but it's not proper joy. And then I feel terrible about later. So that that kind of stuff, or how am I talking to myself? Like even in my head, am I being kind to myself? Am I um, I don't know, am I talking to my body in a way that's positive? Am I even feeding myself good foods that will make my body, um, you know, exert an amount of energy that I need for it to be able to function throughout the day? Like how am I treating myself? So I think that's a really big thing. And then, you know, ruminating on thoughts is something that we all do and it's easy to get stuck on negative thought patterns. But like, is this true? You know, like question the things that you're getting stuck on and once you've questioned them and 99% of the time usually these thoughts we have they're just clouds passing in the sky and when we look at them we question them and know that they're not true and we look at them as if they are what they are as the witness they are just thoughts passing we don't Mm -hmm. we're not them we're not the thoughts they're just thoughts and when we lose that attachment to these thoughts then we don't hold the emotion towards them anymore so yeah. I think that's such a big part of conscious awareness. And, yeah, that's the really a critical step to living a great life. Yeah, it really is. And, and I think it's, it's important to, I mean, everybody comes to that point in their lives at a different, at, you know, everyone's sort of on their own journey and everyone has their own timing. But I think it's, it's almost, and the thing is, even if you are aware, sometimes you can still get caught up with yeah. your thinking patterns. It's not like once you are aware, you just, that's it. And you're just living like this conscious life forever. And there's no moments where you're unconscious. I think it's something that you, you always have to be aware and conscious of. Really, Absolutely. You have to watch your it. thoughts till the day that you die. Like that's mm-hmm. something. And it, it, becomes easier over time because you're changing your pathways and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you know, sometimes we do something or we say something and we think, oh, that probably wasn't in alignment of like who I'm trying to be. But that's okay because you're aware of it. And the fact that you notice it and you think, I don't want to do that again, is wonderful rather than just living a life where you do those sort of things haphazardly and they have detrimental effects to the people and to you. Mm, mm. that's a that's a really good point too is is also to be kind to yourself I guess along the journey because like we're not none of us are perfect right absolutely um, yeah I really like that now just kind of coming back to happiness and I think you know just in terms of you know the notion around happiness and expectations and around what life is supposed to look like and I think definitely societally as well you know when most of the time we're not conscious of a collective narrative and there's so many different ones that are floating around of what we should be, what we should do, what will bring us happiness and every culture, every place has a different, you know, sort of narrative depending on the context. But if we're talking about Australia specifically and then maybe even narrowing it down to your city or even Melbourne culture, for example, you know, it's 
it's quite obvious that there is a collective narrative about what life you should be living in order to be happy and or successful, et cetera, et cetera. And you refer to it as sort of like predefined molds, you know, in, in correlation to that idea. And so can you explain your take on what that means and what you've experienced and observed around this kind of, I guess, societal pressure or narrative that we are told from various different, you know, mainstream media, et cetera, et cetera, mm. social media of how we sort of can work with that, but also not being defined by that also. Yes. So the first thing I think is that, you know, we need to, to find true happiness, you need to work on yourself on the inside rather than the outside. So the societal pressure comes from these external things that should bring us happiness, which we know is not only going to give short-term happiness and not sustain happiness in the long term. And, you know, to get into the core of happiness is to make sure that we accept ourselves and love ourselves and it's hard to work on that and you have to do the meditations or the conscious awareness or the other bits and pieces to allow yourself to find happiness and joy outside of other people, outside of those material objects. And once we do the work on ourselves, which, you know, can be going back to, you know, up until the age of seven, we have these subconscious beliefs that begin in our mind and then they're put in there. So it's a lot of the time working through these subconscious beliefs to get to a stage where they're not things that we're battling against. We're able to move through them and let go. And that can form a lot of happiness as well. So I think, you know, there's a lot of talk of, you know, are you enough? That's a Mm. big thing as well. Coming to terms with all that, which is not easy work. It can be quite hard because we're really digging up the past and, you know, using forgiveness and things that might be in there from years and years of living the human experience. But once we have that, then it's easier to go out into society and we might, you know, find joy and happiness from just hanging out with a friend. It's funny because once you once you get to the stage where you've done a lot of inner work and like we said about the thought patterns, the inner work has to be constantly done. You don't just go, okay, like I've done it now for two years, tick the box, it's done. Like yeah. as we know, everything in life, there are things that happen and life's not like a smooth sailing uh, thing that we do. It has these bumps. Mm. But once, you've, once you're able to do the work on yourself, you become a lot more resilient. So when those speed bumps come, you don't just fall to the ground. You're able to pick yourself up and then move past them. So I think when we have this stuff, we don't need all the material objects that might have fulfilled us before for a short period of time. I mean, they're still nice to have, but we don't use them to create happiness in our life. We don't need to go on a zillion holidays or find worthiness in other people's perception of us because we're happy within ourselves. And it's funny because once you're happy within yourself, you notice that all those things start coming to you anyway because you kind of attract that abundance into your life. Mm. So, but you don't, it's not like you need it. So you're not needy for this stuff. It will come to you anyway and you just whatever with it because you it's not important to you. Yeah. So, yeah, I think doing the inner work is the the first step uh, 
and then you'll realize that those societal pressures really don't mean much to you at all. They're not they're not pressures anymore. Yeah, I really like that. And you're so right. The inner work is just something that we always constantly do. And it's so ironic that, like you said, once you do that work, then all the external stuff just sort of seemingly just falls into place without you really having to do or, you know, kind of push or that kind of thing. And I think it's it's so fascinating. Now, the whole, like you mentioned there, the whole idea about being worthy and self-love, and I know we've definitely heard these terms and people listening probably have definitely heard, you know, you just need to love yourself, you need to think that you're good enough and all of those kinds of things. But for people coming into this work who are newer to this kind of work, who might be thinking, well, how am I supposed to think that I'm good enough when I just, I literally just don't think I'm good enough or, you know, I, I think I'm this and, and have sort of more negative terms of ways to describe themselves. And like you said, these unconscious beliefs, which is what they are, they're so ingrained in that unconscious that they just become habitual thinking patterns. So what is your best ways of getting to those unconscious beliefs and really shifting that into a more positive way of thinking because I think that's what I think when you hear it intellectually it's one thing but it's almost like you were talking about even you embodying those things that you learn there's 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 the element of understanding it intellectually but then actually embodying what it means to believe that you are good enough yeah how would you how would you sort of go about I guess giving your best ideas and strategies to work, to actually embody that feeling of yeah. I am good enough? Well, I think one of the things when I teach people about manifestation, the first part is, you know, trying to get to those subconscious beliefs, which are preventing us to be able to attract abundance into our life. And the first thing I get is people to work on this. And one technique that's really effective is that works on the subconscious mind is that is the taping of affirmations in your own voice things like I am worthy, I am abundant, things that you don't think that you are mm-hmm. and having that recorded for about half an hour or so in the I am, so not in the future or the past, in the now because that's also a big thing because if you say I want to have this, it means you don't have it yet. So in the I am statement and before you go to bed, if you put your earbuds in or if it's annoying, you put one in and you just play it on really low. And so when you shift off to sleep for the short period of time, your subconscious mind is working, not your conscious mind. And these are the things that are playing. That's why they always say, like, don't go to sleep with the TV on. You don't know what's being played and the subconscious mind is listening to all of it. So if it's like a horror movie or something like that, that's not something that you want to be thinking about when you go to bed. So that's the best time for the sub... People People also say, like, think of things that you're grateful for before you go to sleep. So you're going into that zone with that kind of really positive reinforcement. But to rewire the subconscious mind, that is one of the great things to do, one of the good tools to use. Um, and then you know, to work on subconscious beliefs as well as like, you know, what do I not think I'm, you know, if I don't think I'm worthy, well, challenge those beliefs. Like, why do I think I'm not worthy? Because there will be no doubt in your mind if you write it down that for every, every negative, you can find a positive to reinforce the fact that you are actually incorrect, that there are things that you have done well in your life that reinforce the fact that, those negative self-beliefs are not true. So really, it, it you know, 
another good thing to do is meditation. So when you go into that meditative state, a lot of stuff can come up and it can be uncomfortable. But the more that we're meditating, the more, again, we're able to listen. And like I said before about the thoughts on a day-to-day level, you do the same in meditation where they're just clouds passing through. You watch them as the witness, but you're also able to feel them but you don't go get so entrenched in them or you don't push them away. You allow them to pass through. And when we're allowing that to happen, then it allows our mind to kind of breathe and the subconscious has kind of gotten out what it needs to and we're aware of it to be able to then change it. So I reckon, yeah, meditation, questioning our like what our negative beliefs are and then showing them that like writing it down and making sure that you know that that's not correct and also going to sleep, listening to the affirmation recordings of yourself. Yeah, they're really great tips. So just meditation, questioning those beliefs, and also that med- the the affirmations in your own voice. I've never heard that strategy before, actually. I've definitely heard of, of affirmations, but not recorded in your own voice. And that makes so much sense that you would hear your own voice yes. as you drift off to sleep. I feel like that could, that you know, would be really powerful for you to reprogram your unconscious mind with. Yeah. What, what, and it what really better voice? Is- so easy as well. Like, yes, it's Mm. a bit tedious recording them for half an hour or so. But once you've done that, that's, Mm. you've done it. And then it's something that you just need to do. You know, you could be, you spend every night for a month listening to it, but it's, you just do it for that period of time till you feel like, okay, like I can see an improvement in my life. And the improvement in your life comes through synchronicities and things like that. It's not like you wake up and you're like, I feel better. You can just tell like the universe gives breadcrumbs to show you you're on the right path, doors start opening for you, things, opportunities that you didn't think were there start becoming available and that's when you know that these these practices are working for you. Yeah, I really love that. And I really love hearing about synchronicities because that's the really fun part about, that's part of the, I guess, the manifestation process, right, is is kind of putting it out there, being in a certain energy and then and then things are attracted back to you. You, you It's like like attracts like, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, you definitely have also spoken about this idea about raising your energy and, you know, some people might not be across the whole idea about the quantum field and how all of that works. But can you kind of go into your process for manifesting and and talk about what that means to raise your energy? Like what does that actually intellectually like, yeah, yeah, you know, I can raise my energy. But what what does that actually feel like in the body to embody that, you know? So one thing I talk to people about in manifestation is the tool of visualization. And it's you don't always have to do this, but I feel like for me and for my students, it's a great way to learn how to manifest. And I actually have a meditation on my website that has this within it. So like you go through guided meditation and then within points of it, it gets you to basically say, basically think about like different things that you want to bring into your life. And when you do that, you imagine yourself doing those things that you want to bring into your life or meeting that person or whatever it is. So when you do that, you'd obviously be excited by it. So when you're really engrossed in that, like you are there, you're raising your energy to feel like what you would feel like had that manifestation come come into your life. And when you do that, there's the feelings and sensations of love and happiness and joy and all the things that we want to bring into our life. And that's why raising your energy is such an important part of creation 
Because if we're all energy, then basically what, like you said, what we kind of put out into the field is going to come straight back to us because there's infinite amount of possibilities there. And I believe it's always going to come in a way that we least expect as well. So the manifestation may not come to you exactly how you pictured it. It will probably come to you in a better way. So when we talk about raising our energy, that's what we're like embodying what we want to become or what we want to bring into our life. Mm. I really, I've been fascinated with learning about sort of quantum, the quantum field and quantum leaping. I mean, some people might not like that terminology, but it's almost just like embodying a future version of yourself. So exactly. whatever it is that you're trying to manifest a year, two years, whenever it is in the future, there's a version of you that has all those things that, that you actually want to manifest that you don't currently have, but to live as if you were that version of you, but do that now. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. And then you end up, it's like, you know, there's a term, I'm not about faking things, but faking till you're making, when you do that enough, it allows you to then believe that this is you. Like a girlfriend of mine has a beautiful example of that, but she basically wanted to start a new life. She moved to from Melbourne to Sydney and in the process of doing that, she was like, I'm just going to create this new version of myself. And she did. And she that new version of herself became herself and mm. everything she wanted to bring into her life happened. And she's like, I just changed into the person I've always wanted to be. And so that again goes back to that conscious awareness piece where if you want to change in your life, you have to change. Yes. So you have to be conscious of what you're doing. <laughs> and it's so simple, but people don't do that. They're like, I want to change, but then they stay exactly the same. It's like, okay, mm. well, if you want to change, you got to change. You know, you want yeah. to bring new and exciting things into your life. You can't bring the new and exciting things into your life as the old personality. It hasn't worked for you for 35 years. Mm-hmm. You've got to change to be able to attract those new things. And as my story goes, where I was kind of born again in the same life, that old Sarah attracted things haphazardly into her life. There was a lot of good and then there was negative. And then when I changed, a lot more good started coming into my life, a lot more fulfillment started coming into my life. And, of course, I'm not immune to negative things happening to me. Everyone is going to have that as we spoke about in their lives. But I was on top of how I create these things in my life and that allowed me to live in a far more joyful way. Mm. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, if you want to change You've got to change. You've got to do. You've got to do the work. It's so simple, right? <laughs> it really exactly. Is. But the but the actual results of that is so profound, and as as you can attest to with with just the whole transformation that you've gone through, and, and with all the amazing work that you do now. And you've had some just really incredible guests on your podcast. I mean, Dr. Joe Dispenza. You've had Simon Sinek, Gabby Bernstein, Esther Perel, just to name a few. All teachers that I really really love. So I'm curious to know what. What has been the most profound thing that you've learned from a guest on your show? Because you've had some really incredible teachers. Absolutely. I've had some wonderful conversations with so many people. But it's, it, mm. you know, like a lot of what they talk about is very similar, all of them. They just say it in a different way. And that is mm. so profound within itself because a lot of these teachings are from ancient times. And so it's like our interpretation of them now. But I think one of the biggest things that people talk about on the podcast, uh, and Garbo Mate spoke a lot about this, Dr. Jeffrey Rediger talked about it, is authenticity. And, you know, really getting into like what that is and how you live and breathe it. 
was quite, for me, it was very life-changing in the sense that when we live a life that's not authentic to ourselves and it might be the life that someone else wanted us to live, like a partner or a parent, and we didn't follow our dreams or do what we wanted to do in life, as we spoke about earlier, it can result in illness later down the track or you can get into your deathbed as, like you know, Bronnie Ware talks about, where you have this number one regret of the dying is that they didn't live their authentic self. And being true to you, and what you want to do, which is very different to what the next person wanted, wants to do, I think will bring you more fulfillment in life than anything. And, yeah, I think it's like allowing kids to be kids, like allowing a child to be who they want to be, not being a parent that's trying to mould their child to be like what they're like. Like, you know, it's funny because we want our kids to fit into this box, but then at the same time we're saying like, no, we just want them to be themselves, but we're not allowing them to be that. So I think, you know, for any parents listening, that's a big thing. Like our kids, we have our kids, but we don't own them. They are themselves. They own themselves. And we have to give them that freedom to be themselves. We can guide them. But what they choose to do is up to them. And I think for ourselves as well, like we don't need to live in the shadows of anyone else. We need to live and fulfill what we think is important to our life and our journey. And I think that's probably been the biggest takeaway. Mm, I, I really like that. And I think, I mean, I feel like being authentic, it, it, it's not as easy as it sounds, is it, in terms of, like you just said there, the, it's giving that permission of either your kids or giving that permission to yourself to be true to who you are. Because what if who you are goes against what society says is whatever it is, you know, there's a lot of different things that come in. And so I feel definitely even just doing my own work. I mean, I feel like that's one of the things that you are always constantly in conflict with is who your authentic self is and how best to express that and be in the world, as opposed to what other people are telling you what to be or how you think. Actually, they're not actually probably telling you. It's just your perception of what you think they think you should be. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I started doing the podcast and, you know, speaking on topics of mindset and wellness, I'm like, I'm not just going to drink green juices and show that because, like, I don't do that. So, so just because a lot of wellness people do that, like that's, I live a very healthy lifestyle, but that bit's not me. So I'm not going to pretend like I don't drink alcohol. Like I do drink alcohol and I'm proud of having a drink here and there, not much, but you know, I'm not going to hide these things. I'm going to live and just show the world who I am. And if Mm. you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't. And then I wasn't, it wasn't an illusion. I wasn't yes. trying to present myself in a way that I feel like my audience wanted me to be. I was just me. Yeah. And in that way, you attract the audience that resonates with exactly. you. Right? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I think people yeah. can see that as well. Like, I think you can kind of tell, like, is that person being authentic to themselves? Um, and authentic to themselves can be just being a cranky person, but that's just them. And they're not pretending to be anything they're not. They're not trying to be this image that they think the world wants of them. So, yeah, I think it's just you live a far happier life really being who, living the life that you want to live rather than the life that other people want you to live. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a really important lesson. Definitely one that I feel like we all we all need to to strive towards, I think, more yes. and more. Yeah, definitely. So I've got the final hot three questions for you. So here they go. What drives you? I think living a life of service is what drives me. You know, when things get sometimes hectic and tough or you have those weeks where it's just very overwhelming with work and family, being of service will always be the the thing in my mind that keeps me going, having a beautiful audience of people that follow my work, listen to the podcast, read my writing, the people that I coach uh, and all the other work that I do, that's that drives me more than anything and I am so grateful for that so yeah being of service I would say definitely I really love that that's so good and I and I feel like you would get just so much fulfillment and joy just from seeing the impact of your work on other people's lives too right just having that exactly. positive impact yeah yeah that's really lovely now the next question is if you had a regret or something in your life that you could redo or relive what would that be and why I just you know I think everyone's, I don't have so many regrets in life because I think even a regret got you to where you are. So my, if I just like change that question a bit in the sense that I feel like I don't have regrets and I don't because of the way that I perceive them. I think that everything in your life gets you to where you were. And I could say like, oh, I wish I got into personal development work earlier or something like that. But I don't because my journey has got me here, that dark night of the soul got me to do what I'm doing. And if I didn't have that, maybe I wouldn't be here. And if I didn't have those other steps, maybe they wouldn't have led me to where I am now, which is bringing me a lot of joy and happiness. So I look at life thinking that we have learnings in them and we hope to learn them so they're not shown back to us again. But that's okay. Uh, But I don't, yeah, I don't live life so much with regrets. Yeah. I mean, I really like that. And I share the same view about regrets. It's almost, you know, like you said, I mean, even if you think back to what you were doing before the podcast and all this stuff, I mean, you're working on breakfast radio and producing. I mean, obviously that has helped you to do the stuff that you're doing now, right? All those skills and talents that you have. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of incredible when you look back at your journey and, and yes, there are some dark moments, but you know, I think overall, I definitely feel this is, is you look back and go, I'm so proud of myself for getting through that time. And I'm so proud of having learnt those lessons, right? And it's made me who I am today. And exactly. so you wouldn't, you wouldn't really change much because it's, that's what you needed to go through, I suppose, at the time. So I love that. I share that sentiment with you. And my final question for you is, what is the biggest lesson you have learnt in your life so far? I think there's... Yeah, one of the biggest lessons I think is that, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, is that especially with manifestation, you get what you are, not what you want. Mm -hmm. And if you show up every day being kind and being of service and, you know, putting into the world things that are going to help others in some way, then you're going to receive a lot of abundance into your life. And I think that's such a beautiful way to live your life anyway. But I really think that's been like a big lesson for me, like really thinking about the way that I show up for the greater good and being able to help other people. And then, you know, you don't want, it's not like you're asking for it to be reflected back, but you do see it reflected back into your life. And and I think that 
now having the knowledge of that, if everyone else could know that, it may make them think differently or act differently in certain situations to be kinder mm. to people, to be more yeah. patient, all those sort of things. I think they're, you know, knowing that has improved all those areas immensely. Mm, it's almost like focusing on the being, right, rather than the having of things, I suppose. Yeah. And then those things come and, you know, you put more emphasis on who you are. Which yes. Really, yeah, you know, really you like can't it. change other people so much, but you can be an example to make them yes. want to change. So, yeah. you know, if you want people to be kinder, then you be kinder. Yes. And you see yes. that that rather than forcing them to be a certain way, you just be the example of that. Yes. Oh, amazing. I really, really love that example. Lead by example. That's that's really what it is, Exactly. Right? Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I've just really loved talking to you about all of these amazing things. So where can people find you and all your amazing work? Because you have, you know, you've got a book, you've got meditations, you've got podcasts, all those kind of things. Where can people find you and, and your amazing resources? So my website's sarahgrimberg.com and I've got different meditations on there and the manifestation meditation we spoke about. I've got a manifestation course that people can do an audio course with also printable worksheets. Uh, you can listen to a Life of Greatness podcast, you know, on your favourite podcast app. And I'm on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, Facebook at Sarah Grimberg, all that kind of stuff. Well, we'll pop all of those links up in the show notes. So make sure you guys check out all of Sarah's amazing work. Tell us what you loved and learned from this episode by leaving a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Also screenshot this episode, tag us and share it to your socials. Thank you again, Sarah, so much for joining me. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rach Active Podcast. 